Hey guys, Paul Capon from the innovation community here uh, today. I'm with uh, Victor Rias. Uh, Victor is a, a well-established leader in the, the IT and data space, uh, working at companies like Johnson & Johnson um, and Valvoline as well. Uh, Victor, great to have you with us. Uh, thank you for having me. Excellent. So um, just to, to really get started, tell, tell the community a bit about yourself in a, in a few words. Sure. Uh, I'm uh, born and raised in the U.S., uh, child of uh, actually uh, sort of immigrants from both Europe and Latin America. Uh, so was sort of brought up a, a little bit with that mentality. Uh, education was very important in my family. So uh, did my schooling, was always interested in technology from a young age. But really, how do you apply technology to solve problems? And uh, I've always looked throughout my career uh, what are those opportunities to really use technology to push ahead that problem solving, particularly for business purposes? Uh, as such, I have uh, almost a 25-year career, spent several years in consulting, uh, 18 mm. years with Johnson & Johnson, and uh, several years with Valvoline as well. Excellent. And, you know, what really interests you about working with data on a, on a day-to-day basis and, um, you know, throughout big companies like J&J as well? You know, I, I think it's really um, sort of the power to get those insights. Um, it's w- one of the things that I think going through my career, I saw the early days, uh, this wealth of data being collected and the inability to really uh, sort of, for lack of a better term, look between the spaces in the data to find what those insights were. And what's been really amazing over the last uh, 25 years of this professional journey I've been on is seeing how technology has given us those tools and the capabilities to, um, you know, look in between those spaces and really get some keen insights to help us solve problems, grow business, uh, and find new opportunities that, uh, quite frankly, without these tools would be almost impossible to discover. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's really about turning insights into action, and this is where a lot of our leaders are are struggling with on a, on the day to day as well. Uh, like I, I said at the start, you've got a really interesting and uh, you know, experienced background. Uh, tell us about a time that you affected change in one of those organisations. I, I think one of the earliest, and I'll, I'll get back to um, many years ago with Johnson Johnson. This would be in the early two thousands. Um, getting data and partnering with uh, one of our very, very large retailers, one of the biggest retailers in the world. Won't use the name, but trying to see how we could better segment. And um, looking at that data, we were really uh, seeing, is there something we could do with promotions to attract a certain segment of the population and spur growth? And we did an experiment in 300 retail chains that seemed to have the target population we were looking for. We did a different set of promotions just in those three stores, in-store promotions. And we actually found, uh, compared to the stores that we didn't do the promotions in, the population we were aiming for, we were able to increase sales by almost 20%. So that was the early days. And it was a lot of um, (laughs) data from different sources bringing it together. It was very ugly. But uh, sort of working with uh, the marketing and the sales groups to say, you know, there's a smarter way of going after our consumers than a one-size-fits-all. And with just a little bit of, of, of digging and insights uh, from these analytics, 
we really can have a more effective marketing program by marketing to certain uh, demographics in different ways. And I think that experiment really started a lot of experimentation at that company that other companies were also doing at the same time. Definitely. And I think you, you, you bring up a really good point about the, the amount of data that's out there and, and those different silos that, that are working, you know, not necessarily with each other, but, but kind of parallel. Uh, and as you said, right, uh, rightly so there, that uh, it's really important that organizations are, are able to experiment. And, and, you know, that kind of uh, sounds like you've got your foot in the door there and, and, it, and it led to a lot of really great things as well. Uh, do you think that the organizations that you're working with are, are really scared of change and, and scared of, you know, experimenting like that? You, you know, it really depends on the leadership you're dealing with in the organizations. Uh, you run across all types. You have some people that are firm believers that, hey, we've always done business a certain way. Um, you know, we don't need all these fancy tools and analytics and that it's more of an art uh, than a science. And then you have sort of the opposite end of the spectrum where you have people really pushing sort of the pure data science of it and, and looking at, at the results. And, um, you know, I, I think one of the, the great analogies, uh, you know, that's out there is sort of what happened in baseball, um, you know, that for for a hundred years, baseball was sort of managed by scouts and that was sort of the art of selecting players. And then you had Billy Bean come in and, and um, sabermetrics and looking at data and trying to say, Hey, can we put together a better squad based on data and statistics and sort of mining that and, and doing it that way. And uh, that became the subject of the book Moneyball and the movie. And I think what you see more from that is sort of a, a nice compromise. It's, it's out there that you use that data to get you going in the right direction, but there's still a little bit of art left to it to sort of take you that um, last little bit over the finish line. So uh, I, I think the most progressive leaders take that approach to it. But again, you know, your mileage is going to vary depending on how open they are to saying, hey, there's a new way of doing things. Uh, and just because you had success in the past doing it the old way doesn't guarantee you success in the future doing it the same way. And I, I think what you've actually seen, and again, particularly in the last 15, 20 years, um, you know, look at the Fortune 100 companies and how they've changed. And I think a lot of that change is based on companies that are engaged with data as their primary uh, sort of source of of revenue and income or those that have embraced it to help augment their existing businesses. Hmm. Yeah. And I think when, when we talk about Google and Amazon, a lot of that is to do with, with how they approach customers and, and, you know, the new, new, the newer ones as well. Um, you know, I, I think when it comes to the change management piece, this is probably the biggest, uh, element of, of, of business transformation in, in the 21st century and especially with the changing workforce as well is something that, that isn't going to go off the agenda as well um on that note you mentioned that that you you had that that uh that initiative with j&j what do you think in your opinion was the biggest impact that you've made on a business transformation i think probably the the biggest impact was um, you know, taking a, an approach of a standard business process. So it's sort of less related to, to true data, but looking at business processes um, that consume data uh, out there. And again, getting very comfortable with the way a business runs. It seems to run well and not really thinking outside of the box. And uh, again, an example, um, and I'll use it for my Johnson Johnson days, was uh, something called sort of special packs. 
And what a special pack is, is when you get uh, products that might be across brands or, or different SKUs and you bundle them together temporarily and it becomes sort of a package deal. And a lot of the warehouse clubs like BJ's and Sam's and, and Costco do these special packs. Um, other big retailers will do them as well. So the, 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 the standard way to do a special pack is you take product out of inventory, you shrink wrap it together, and you sort of, that becomes a new SKU. The problem is when you don't sell through all of that stuff, uh, you have to now break all that stuff up and bring it back into inventory. And during the time that it is shrink wrapped, those SKUs aren't available in inventory. But this is the way it had been done forever um, out there. And we were working with some people out there and we said, do you really care if it's shrink wrapped together or just sort of like in a bundle? Uh, and they didn't care so much about the shrink wrapping, um, these, these particular set of customers. And we said, well, could we do something with what we call virtual special pack? And we created a way that we could mix and match any products we wanted. They always stayed in inventory until we need to assemble that pack. And only those packs got shipped to customer. So the company ended up saving millions of dollars just on the shrink wrapping alone, but also on managing inventory and not having either too much or too little inventory of those individual SKUs um, really helped with, with that situation. And it was, it was one of those things that just came one day in, in probing, some probing questions that um, I had been asking people to better understand the process that just asked, why didn't we ever try this before? And just no one ever asked the question or thought about it. Hmm. And it is really those simple ideas in, in big organizations that can have huge ripple effects. Uh, like you said, millions of dollars just on shrink wrap and you know, inventory reduction, especially uh, uh, some of these companies we talk about that. that that, that, that's huge differences, right? Um, oh, exactly. I think that that is, is really the, the nitty gritty of it. And it's about really empowering and getting through to people as well. Um, you know, a, a time for a bit of humble pie. What do you think the biggest mistake you made during your career was? Um, you, you know, I, I always consider myself uh, sort of a numbers guy. I've always, you know, been really good at math and statistics and love numbers, which probably initially attracted me to technology. Um, and I was like, if I have the facts on my side, I will win any argument, particularly in the business space. I just have to get the facts on paper and, and let people realize this is a better way of doing things. So this is earlier in my career, and I had a, a great idea, and I, I kept getting all this resistance from leadership and, I, and one, one area of the company. And I couldn't understand why I was getting so much resistance when I, I was demonstrating. I had you know, everything correct that this is going to generate us, you know, um, you know, more profits and other benefits to the company as well as benefits to the consumer. And uh, finally, I had uh, a CFO of that particular division pull me aside one day and said, you know, he goes, you're real bright. Uh, he goes, your argument's 100% correct, but you're making a logical argument to an emotional decision. Hmm. And I said, what do you mean by that? He goes, what you're proposing is putting this other leaders group at stake and they won't need nearly as many people in their group. And a lot of leaders, unfortunately, measure their influence by the size of their teams. So he said, everything you're presenting is correct, but the ultimate decision maker here is, lose, is viewing it as shifting power out of their group to another group and diminishing their importance. And he goes, that's what you haven't addressed in your argument. How do you make that group continue to be important and relevant? Because once you do that, you can get the person on board. But that was, you know, probably nine months of pounding my head, you know, up against a very hard service to no benefits and actually, you know, feeling disliked 
which was a very uncomfortable time for me. Hmm. Yeah, and, and it sounds like a learning experience, which is always what's what's important, right? Um, you know, really. Yes. How do you, how do you deal with people and rather than kick them? drag them kicking and screaming through change really uh you know helping them to to understand why the change is happening and then you know eventually implementing that as well so um just looking back on that if you could change one thing about your career what do you think what do you think that would be you know i i would say something i wish i'd done more you know probably starting 10 years ago um early in my career i shouldn't take a lot of risk and it seemed like I reached to a point where I felt like I, I had reached so much success in my career and gotten so many promotions that I became more conservative in my decision making. And as a result, really didn't push the envelope nearly as much, I would say, for a period of about three to five years there. And if I could go back and change it, I would you know, <laughs> tell myself, continue to take those risks. Um, they don't always pan out, but more often than not, you know, you do see those rewards. And I think without taking those risks, you really don't experience sort of that that change, that truly measurable change that's impactful to, to people and businesses. Mm. Absolutely. And, and you know, from your career, where do you think the, the, the best piece of advice you ever received was? Um, I'm... I'm I'm probably going to go back to that, uh, that CFO, that division that, you know, told Mm. me to, you know, it's probably it's, it's what's in it for me. He said, just with anything that you're doing out there, when you're presenting to people, they have to understand what's in it for them. So, you know, getting back to just using pure data and logic to win an argument that oftentimes is an emotional component just isn't going to work. So uh, I, I still find that to this day to be a fantastic piece of advice. I'd say the second piece of advice, and this is when I started managing people in my career, and I found a lot of first-time managers uh, make, made the same mistake. I thought by managing everyone the same, I was managing everyone, uh, that was managing everyone fairly. And that's not the case. Um, you know, manage, you do need to manage everyone fairly, but you don't manage them the same. So that one employee that says, hey, you know, I, I've got special circumstances. Can I work from home three days a week? Uh, it gets a lot done. Um, that, you know, that's great that you can do that, but you might have another employee that they work from home and they never show any results. And by allowing one to do it and the other, as long as you're explaining the logic and, and again, you know, um, not basing it just on perception, but and also on some backing up with a little bit of facts there, uh, you know, you can manage fairly, but you don't manage them the same. Mm. yeah absolutely i think you know you, you want to be able to engage you want to be able to to inspire and lead and 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 i think fairness is the key word there so um recently or or maybe even in the past as well who's your favorite thought leader you know I, I, there's actually two people that in, impress me a lot and one everyone has probably heard of and that's elon musk um even though the, the last couple of years he's he's <laughs> <laughs> a little crazy at times out there, but, um, you know, I think you have to be a little crazy to be a visionary. Um, you, you know, so I, I still think that, you know, Elon is, is a great visionary really has pushed the envelope on, on, in a lot of areas that, uh, at the time people thought he was completely crazy. Um, so, you know, and when he is acting more crazy than usual, whether it's with his flamethrower or whatever he's doing, um, you know, he's still entertaining nonetheless, 
you know, probably a second person. I don't know if many people have heard of him is a gentleman by the name of Shep Hyken. Um, he, he's an author. Uh, he's, this is basically the guy that is the expert on customer and customer service and customer engagement. And the reason why I like following him is, uh, you know, he, he brings out stuff that's so obvious and, um, you know, if you can engage a customer to the point that they like doing business with you, they're pretty much not going to look at your competition. Mm. And, you know, I almost call it, you know, Amazon is a great example of that. You know, Amazon, and if you're a Prime member, it's just so easy to do business with them. Um, and it's there, and you get your packages. Now I'm getting some of my packages the same day. You know, I don't even have to wait two days. Um, you know, it's just a great customer experience. And um, so Shep Hyken really goes in all on that on why it's really important to put the customer at the center and make everything customer-centric because that is the ultimate form uh, of competitive advantage. Mm. And I think with a service like Amazon Prime and here in the UK anyway, uh, not only is the, you know, the, the cost has been the same, but they've actually added more and more services to that. So it, it just makes you want to go back and it's so user-friendly, um, which is why I think that they've, they've got to the stage that they're at now, which is, um, which is, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to, they're not really facing any issues like a lot of the other uh, industries are right now. But uh, just as a closing thought then, what advice would you give for aspiring leaders in, in data, in insights, in analytics? You know, I, I would say is, you know, um, particularly if you're, if you're in a, an industry that uh, is kind of siloed, whether you're financial services or healthcare, like I used to be automotive, um, look outside your industry. Uh, see what really cool things are happening in other industries. Uh, you know, I love uh, looking at, you know, what's happening, particularly in medical research. Um, when I look at some of the stuff with advanced analytics and couple that with machine learning, um, really some amazing things going on in the medical field. And again, these tools and, and the advanced analytics, you've seen, they've played such a role in uh furthering medicine and well-being, overall health and well-being for people around the world in the last 20 years. And that's just going to accelerate even more over the next 20 to 30 years. So, um, you know, go outside your comfort zone, look at it under industries and figure out how you can apply some of those lessons to your own, your own industries, your own uh, interests and, and learnings. Mm, absolutely. And, uh, Vic, it's been great to have you with us. Um, that was Victor Rios, a former CIO at Belvaline uh, and executive at J&J. Um, this is Paul Capron from the Innovation Community signing off. And uh, Vic, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Paul. 